Welcome to the Practical Prospecting Podcast with your hosts, Jed Marley and myself, Maggie Bloom from the Mailshake team. We'll be talking about how to practically set up your outbound outreach game. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, today we are focusing on the five stages of a cold call. So we're going to give you practical tips of the do's and don'ts for each stage. But before we jump into it, Jed, to kick off this conversation, I just read a recent stat about cold calls just to kind of prep us for this conversation. And I read from a study from Baylor University that only 1% of cold calls actually lead to an appointment. So I thought it was pretty crazy and I have something to say on it, but I want to hear your thoughts about it first. If I'm being honest, the number makes sense. Like on average, connect rates are like 10%, right? So if you make 100 calls, you probably have 10 connections and 10% connect rate is is pretty good, right? And then convert 10% from connect to meeting is typically a pretty good number. Now, if you're selling more transactional SMB, maybe it should be closer to 50%, 25% of connects to meeting, but if you think about it, like make 100 calls, 10% connect rate, so that's 10 conversations, then you convert 10 of those to a meeting, that's 1%, right? So I think it makes sense. And that's what I've seen based on most teams I've worked with for like to be the average, I would say. Yeah. And I think it comes down to like that number shocked me. I'm not really in the cold call realm of things right now. I'm not an SDR. I used to be. And it made sense a little bit. But what I thought about was like the same stats that people give about cold email. They're like, only X percent of cold emails actually get replies. And it's like, okay, let's take a look at the facts. Like the cold calls that you're making, like, are they truly cold calls? Have you never interacted with this person before? Also, have you tried this number before and it didn't work? Then yeah, like your connect rate and appointment set rate is going to be pretty low. So I think it has to like look at the bigger picture. That's why sometimes it's hard to go off statistics like that. But yeah, true, 1%. But I think like we can get a bit more strategic about it with the whole structure of a cold call too and like with the list that we're talking with as well. And those numbers can go yeah. up too. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today is how to increase those numbers. But one of the things to, to, to bring up about that is that if I hear that you know 1% of cold calls lead to an appointment, that's kind of exciting to me because if that's my number, that tells me, okay, if I make a hundred cold calls, I should get an appointment, right? And a hundred cold calls in a day is very doable. And then, yeah. you know, you know your benchmark and exactly what we're going to talk about today is knowing your benchmark and then how to get that number from 1% higher using different tactics within your cold call. Yeah, definitely. And I'm excited. So we're going to cover the five stages of a cold call coming from Jed's article at Practical Prospecting. So each stage that we're going to cover, we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts. So do we just kind of want to go through like a quick hit list of this, Jed? Yeah, for sure. Let's break it down. So the reason why like, you know, I try to break it down into the five stages is because when you're coaching somebody on a cold call, it's hard to say, okay, let's just coach you on the cold call as a whole, right? There's a lot of different <laughs> yeah. elements to it. And so this is just my variation and how I broke it down for myself. So I can understand where I need to improve within my cold calls. So I'm going to break down the five stages and I'm going to talk about kind of the do's and don'ts for each. So stage one is your opener, right? That's the first thing you're saying when you open up a cold call. Stage two is the pitch. It's the pitch you give right after they've accepted your opener and allowed you to kind of give your pitch. Stage three is discovery. It's when the objections are happening. It's when you're trying to find that problem to hopefully book a meeting. Stage four is closing for that meeting. 
closing for that appointment. And then stage five isn't always necessary, but sometimes it's doing additional qualification, right? So sometimes you have to get additional questions to serve up a solid meeting for your account executive. Running down the list in terms of like do's and don'ts for each stage, I'm going to keep it super high level and then we'll kind of dive in deeper. For your opener, don't change it every time. Have one go-to opener. This is the one part of the cold call that should just stay the same every single time. You should have something that feels like a second nature because the most important part of your opener is your tone and how you come across. And if you're changing it up every time or you don't feel comfortable with it, people are going to sense that your tone is awkward and they're going to immediately hang up on you. If you can't master your opener, you can't start a conversation. In terms of your pitch, make it persona-based, right? Like just test out different pitches. We talk about this on the podcast all the time, but interview people in your ICP and, and come up with the perfect pitch basically by bouncing it off people. So talk to customers, talk to your internal ICP and say, hey, where does this pitch sound good? Where does it not? Are these problems relevant? And keep it short and concise. But again, your pitch should pretty much stay the same for every persona as well. When we go to discovery stage three, just write down some hard-hitting open-ended questions, right? So this is where the call becomes less scripted. You're not just giving your canned pitch, your canned opener. You're having a conversation. You're asking open-ended questions to find a pain point. But your only goal here should be to find a problem, discover the impact of that problem, and then use that to book a meeting, which leads us to stage four. The biggest do here is use the option close. We'll dive into that later, but the option close is going to be the most effective way to close for a meeting on cold calls. And then for stage five, when it comes to qualification, just ask for permission. Say like, hey, Maggie, before we talk next week, do you mind if I ask you a couple more questions to make sure we're making the most of your time? And then you've earned the right to ask a few more questions. Now I'm going to take a deep breath because we just went through a lot really quickly. (laughs) That was insane, but all super useful information, all clear. Jed, give yourself a round of applause. (laughs) So sweet. Thanks for going through those do's and don'ts. I think those are super helpful and like quick hitters that we could just go through right now. But like you said, to go in depth a little bit more and for anyone out there, you can like label me as the scared sales rep because I always talk about all these things that scare me before I try them. And something that Jed said that I wish I knew when I first started making cold calls was like, have the same opener. Like cold calling can be really intimidating. You're an SDR. Let's say you're, I don't know what the average age, but let's just say it's 22 years old. You're most likely calling people who are older than you have more experience. That's not always the case, but there's like all these factors that you can think about. And if you have one solid thing to open up with each time, it just makes that call a lot smoother and it makes the rest of your conversation flow. So like not saying people need to sound robotic, but that's what having scripts and a process are there for a reason. So you can feel more confident. You can feel more calm when you're talking on the phone with someone. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly why, right? Like just make it so like feel so second nature that you're not even thinking about what you're saying. It's just something you've you've rehearsed so many times. When you and I are talking, we don't think about the words we're saying. It just feels natural. It's our own tone of voice. And that's the exact same way it should feel on an opener. It's like you're talking to your friend, you're talking to a colleague. It just feels natural because when you haven't practiced it, you can tell and it feels really scripted. People get anxious on the other side of the phone and they want to hang up on you. Yeah, we don't, we're already maybe a little anxious. We don't want to make that other person anxious. So just keep it calm. If you get a no, it's not the end of the world. We just gave you that percentage of how many calls actually turn into a meeting. I think with that in the back of my mind, would probably give me some more confidence there. Like, hey, this person's probably going to tell me no. Yeah. So might as well try anyways and get really confident doing it so that the next time it is a yes. So awesome. Yeah, opener, making sure that you have that calm, confidence tone in there. 
And then let's talk a little bit about the pitch, which I feel like for some people out there is kind of the hard thing or where they'll get tongue tied because they know that they're going into something talking about their company. But as you framed it, which I really liked it is it's really going around your ICP, right? So we shouldn't really, we should think about like what's in it for them at the end of the day. Yeah. So for using like for a pitch, you're exactly right. It's about what's in it for them. Talk less about your company, your features, and more so about the problems you, you solve. And so I like using what's called a bucket question, which basically just, I mean, I'll use Mailshake's example and I'll say like, hey, talking to a lot of SDR leaders just like yourself, a big thing I've noticed is that they're struggling with email deliverability, which makes it hard for them to have an effective open and reply rate because emails keep going to spam. And then the bucket question is, does that sound like your world at all, Maggie? Or do you feel like you have that completely figured out? And we're giving them two buckets, right? And so nobody really has that completely figured out, but it starts a conversation, right? We're, we're explaining the problem that we hear with personas just like them. And it starts the conversation off on the right note because ideally they're going to say something like, yeah, I mean, nobody has that completely figured out. And you say like, totally, I hear you. And then we're getting into discovery, right? So using a bucket question is a really easy way to have a quick, effective pitch and then segue into discovery pretty seamlessly. Yeah. And Jed used something, he may have not said it, but the way that he said it after someone, after he explained the problem, the person agrees and he was like, oh yeah, that's typically what we see is he used a bit of empathy with it too. I think it's kind of crazy. And thinking back to like when I first did cold calls or when I first did discovery with demos, like for example, I remember one time I was bringing up all these issues that a person basically had, like, you're probably dealing with this because someone else deals with it. And at the end of the call, I realized like, man, I was just calling that person out for like all these wrong things that I like wasn't sharing any empathy with them. And I was thinking, I was like, they probably hate me now. Like I was excited because I'm like, I can solve all these problems for you. But I think like, it's a really important thing when you are pitching. It's like, again, it's part of natural conversation to show empathy. Like when someone says I'm having a problem with something, the first thing that you say is you're probably like, oh no, you know, I'm sorry or something like that. So Long tangent, yeah. but I think it's really important because it makes it for a more natural conversation. Yeah, you're completely right. Because the worst thing you can do on a cold call is sound like you don't understand them, like you're just steamrolling through them to get the meeting. <laughs> yeah. And so if you do things like acknowledge them, like, yeah, I totally hear you. It makes sense. They feel more heard and they're going to, you know, open up to you a little bit more. But you, I mean, I would say you'd be surprised, but I'm sure you're not surprised. So many people just push right through, you know? I'm laughing because you're like, if you just acknowledge them, which honestly, like, <laughs> is a good thing that you brought up, but like, it seems so simple, but I've been there, like when I first started making cold calls and I know a ton of reps that like, I'll get cold calls from too. And I'm like, do you even know if I have like a heartbeat over here? Like if I'm in a good state to answer yeah. this call, I don't know. So it sounds simple, but it's really not. And it's something that we skip because we have so many other things going on and we're thinking about, but that's what this process is helping us do. But yeah, I know we have the the last three parts. Any other things to kind of talk about with discovery, closing or qualifying? Yeah. So, I mean, moving on to discovery, right? I think one area where people tend to get stuck is they either ask too many questions or they don't ask enough questions, right? So they'll ask like one question and they'll go straight in for the meeting. And it's kind of like, okay, did you really earn the right to book the meeting? Or they'll just ask too many questions, questions that aren't related. They'll ask what CRM are you using? How many people do you have? They'll, a bunch of questions that aren't necessarily important. And the reason why is because one area that I personally struggle a lot as an SDR, and I see it with a lot of other people as well, is like, you don't know at what point should I go in for the meeting? And so we talked about it earlier, but just to kind of reiterate, 
ask open-ended questions, not closed-ended questions to figure out if they have a pain point and then find the impact of that pain point. So if we opened with a bucket question by saying, does that sound like your world at all? Or do you have that completely figured out? We kind of understand that they might have a problem, assuming they say, yeah, I mean, nobody has that completely figured out. And then all you want to do is find that impact. So, oh, gotcha. How long has that been a problem for her? What have you tried to do to fix that? Does that mean that, oh, if your emails are going to spam, so using a MailShake example, does that mean your reps are struggling to book meetings through email? And then you found your impact and that's when you close for the meeting. So knowing when to then go for the meeting and transition to that next stage is really important. And the key is understand it like they find the problem, find the impact, book the meeting. Yeah. And the key thing there too is like asking the questions that are important because there is so much shit you can find out about people online. Like do that beforehand. So they're not answering questions like how many sales reps do you have? Like you can find that number. Who else is just like, there's so many things that you can figure out before or that aren't really particularly important about the pain that you're talking about. Maybe your manager wants you to figure that information out. But like, right. figure it out later on. Focus with like the the important questions first to get really into that pain. Yeah, that's a really good golden rule. Just don't ask questions you can find online. You know, <laughs> it'll save you a lot of time, make you sound like more of an expert. These things sound simple, like everyone's doing them, but I promise you, they're not. <laughs> At least from the, the few cold calls that I get a month. Not to bash anyone, because if anyone listened back to the recordings of my cold calls, which I used to make from a phone that I had to pick up, and I'm not even that old yet. They were horrible. <laughs> so I wish I knew this information beforehand, but okay, cool. So we talked about discovery, transitioning into asking for the meeting. So the closing and the qualifying, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I mentioned it earlier, but I prefer to use the option close. And so when you're closing for the meeting, don't make it complicated, right? There's a few things you want to keep in mind. Be assumptive and be quick. So when you ask for the meeting, be silent. Don't say anything else. Just ask for the meeting and do it assumptively. And so assumptively sounds like, sounds great, Maggie. Sounds like maybe we can help you with XYZ problem. Do you have some time later today? Or do you think tomorrow is going to work better for that? So the reason why it's called the option close is because I'm not really giving you the option for no. I'm being assumptive and assuming you want to meet with me and giving you the option of today or tomorrow, not yes or no. And so not assumptive sounds like, yeah, I mean, do you think maybe you have some time next week? I mean, it's not, it's okay. Like we can, you know, uh, there's a lot of different things we can help with. And you kind of go on and on and on because you're nervous. You don't want to hear what they say. And so that's something that takes practice and you have to role play. But the option close is so effective because it's quick. It's just the option of this time or that time, not yes or no. Yeah. And Jed, why do you think we can be assumptive in that moment? Like, what do you think the reason is? Yeah. I mean, if you followed the first three stages in the right way, you've opened up, you've found the problem and found the impact. You can be assumptive because you know you work with hundreds or thousands of people just like them solving the same problem. And so if you truly believe in your product and the problem you solve, if you don't, that's a problem. But if you do, you should be assumptive in understanding that them taking a meeting with you is going to be helpful for them because you can help solve their problem. So it's got to, the assumptiveness, I guess, to answer your question, Maggie, comes from your confidence in your product and the problem you solve. Totally. Yeah. It comes from the confidence. Also, the person is still on the phone with you at this point. Like yeah. most of the time, they probably know what's coming next. Like they didn't just call you out of the blue to talk about your problems and then, you know, hang up with you after that. They're still on the phone. And like you said, it all comes from that confidence of like, hey, I can help you. And that's where you should have that more assumptive close instead of like, hey, maybe we should. 
Because if I was a person listening on the other side of a rep that's like not really sure if they can help me out, then I'm like, okay, why am I going to waste like 30 minutes to just figure out that maybe you can't help me out? Like, and that's why I think it's important to be assumptive, but you have the right to do it because they're already on, they're still on the phone with you. You got them that far. Yeah. And then, yeah, the last part of this qualifying. So that's after we get like a confirmed meeting or the person says yes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, most people don't do this, right? So this is, if you've done the first four stages, you've booked the meeting, that's great. A lot of people like that's what you should work on. You shouldn't necessarily work, worry about this last stage unless you're consistently booking meetings, but this is just to make your meetings better, right? Like book better meetings. And so if you've already got them to commit to a time, they're already invested in at least 30 minutes, right? They've already invested 30 minutes with you. They're going to show up to that meeting. So you might as well ask them some questions while you can, because you know, they've already invested that time. They're more likely to answer those questions now. And so the way you want to frame it is like, what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. So you say like, Maggie, great. I just sent the invite for you know next week to make the most out of your time. Can I ask you a few more questions before we, before we jump off? And then those you know, two or three questions are the questions that your account executive just loves to know beforehand, like ask what sort of tech stack they're using or what's most important for them to see in that demo. And those are the things that are going to help you serve, you know, layups to your account executives. But again, that's kind of a bonus thing and uh, should be focused on once you've kind of mastered those first four stages. It's going to make you look real cool to your A. <laughs> uh, who's yeah. going to be more motivated to go on the call. So definitely take notes on that and yeah, do it if you have time and if you have a good rapport with that person too, because that always helps and that person's willing to help you out and give you some information if you built that up to that point. So we went through the stages. One really cool thing that you mentioned in this practical prospecting article that I want to touch on at the end is how you measure success here. And before we get into it, everyone listening, there is going to be something linked in the show notes where you can measure this and there's a template in there. But Jed, can you talk to us a little bit more about how you can measure success with these five stages? Yeah. So it's best to take a data-driven approach when you're trying to improve your cold calls. So at the very beginning, you said on average, 1% of cold calls lead to a meeting, right? So you should know what that number is. Look at the last month, figure out how many cold calls you made, how many meetings you booked, and that'll tell you what your percentage is, right? So that's your benchmark you want to beat. So what you're going to do is use this template. And every time you have a connected conversation, mark where the conversation ended off. So did it end off right at the opener stage? Did the conversation end at stage three discovery? And you're going to do that for a week. And after a week, you'll have a, a bunch of data showing you where are your conversations ending the most. And that'll tell you what you need to improve on the most. So maybe your, none of your conversations are ending after the opener. So you don't really need to work on that, but all of your conversations are ending in discovery. And that'll tell you, you need to work on the questions you're asking. Are you finding that impact? And same thing if they're, if they're ending on closing, maybe you need to work on your, your skills when it comes to asking for a meeting, working on that option close and, you know, using this sort of template that, like you said, we're going to link in the show notes will help you incrementally increase that benchmark so that you're much more effective on the phones. Isolate the stages that we were talking about, measure the success from each stage that you have in there. And yeah, like Jed said, take a data-driven approach. We'll put that in there because it's a bit more tactical. So you can take a look at it from there. But yeah, the five stages. So again, just to recap, opener, pitch, discovery, closing, qualify. Maybe you read it first in the Practical Prospecting newsletter, but you heard it first here from me and Jed. So thank you so, so much for listening to us today and we'll catch you next time. Bye. This was another episode of the Practical Prospecting Podcast. 
If you enjoyed yourself today, give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify podcast. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time. Thank you.